Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of December 22nd, 2020, and episode number 463, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com, and uh, 2020 is coming to a close. We only got one more show after tonight, can't wait to put it in the rear view mirror. Although, I guess we still got to deal with next year, right? 2021, what can it bring us? And uh, will it be a better year? We'll find out. I don't know if I'll do predictions. There's other shows for that. Um, but uh, usually not that great at predictions. But let's get through 2020. Let's wrap it up. Put a bow tie on it. Stick in the oven, put it in the trash, uh, whatever you want to do with it. But we're going to finish it off. Uh, tonight we've got some cryptozoology notes from the year. Uh, we've got a couple of stories to update on that might end up, uh, well, at least one of them may end up being something we'll definitely talk about next year if it evolves, if it becomes a reality could be the biggest story of the century uh if not it's just going to be another another uh, piece of paper in the round file but we'll see and also tonight we're going to crack number four and number three open like they're chestnuts on an open fire or something i'm not sure where i was going with that one uh but the top 10 paranormal news stories will continue with number four and number three tonight and, of course, that leaves number two and number one for next week, our New Year's Eve Eve celebration. Is that right? Is tonight Christmas Eve Eve Eve? I'm not sure. Yeah, Christmas Eve Eve show. And then next week will be the uh, New Year's Eve Eve show, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight, so we're going to jump in with both feet, shoes, not tied together, hopefully. And encrypted news, and not not too long ago I talked about this. I think it might have been last week. I don't know. My weeks are kind of blurring together anymore with uh, Christmas and working in I work in retail, so I'm I'm out and about. I'm in the fray of the uh, uh, the wandering needy people getting Christmas gifts and food and I don't know. You'd think that people would be not wanting to come out in crowds, but it's happening. Uh, but I, I do think it was last week. We were talking about Lauren Coleman and how every year he talks about uh, some of the top things that happened in cryptozoology. Generally, uh, talks about the top books. Uh, also talks about uh, sometimes the top stories. I've not seen that story break, but I do have a few tidbits from Lauren Coleman. Uh, through his CryptoZooNews.com website. Um, you can also read through The Anomalist. He's tied into that as well. So those will be on. I don't know if they were in there today or will be there tomorrow. Uh, we have the Golden Yeti Awards that were awarded uh, this year. 
the Cryptozoologist of the Year Award. I'm always waiting for mine, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. The Cryptozoologist of the Year Award recipient goes to Dr. Marie-Jean Kaufman. Kaufman was born in France but spent most of her life in the Soviet Union. She became intrigued about snowman stories in the 1950s in Russia, I guess the Soviet Union, and went on to become one of the biggest researchers of the Almasti, which is uh, essentially the Caucasus, Caucasus, messed that up, Caucasus uh, variety of the Almas. And that, of course, is pretty much, I guess you could just call it the Mongolian version of Bigfoot to make a, a generic statement. Uh, it's a bipedal creature seen in the Mongolian area. Uh, you know, Soviet Union, that part of the world out there in the cold. Uh, granted, there's a lot of stuff uh, very similar to uh, other creatures that uh, could just be nothing more than bears, of course. Uh, but back to Kaufman. So she, on July 22nd, had her 101st birthday. Now, she's uh, not in great health, but she's uh, still a sound mind from what I've heard. And she resides in a home for the elderly in Paris. Uh, But she's done a lot of work in uh, this bipedal Almasti research area. Probably the the largest volume of work for it. But um, so a very good award there. And uh, Coleman also announced the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award the other golden yeti of the year. And this went to researcher and author, also artist, Christopher L. Murphy. And you may recognize that name. Murphy has written and co-authored a number of fantastic research books. I know I've got, I think, four or five on my bookshelf with his name on it. Um, I think four or five. Maybe, maybe I think I've got one that I need to get yet. Um, so Bigfoot, Sasquatch, even the Ohio Grassman. There's a couple of books on Ohio Grassman that he's written that have been indispensable for my research here in the Buckeye State. And he resides in the British Columbia area of Canada. So a fantastic researcher and definitely deserving of the Lifetime Achievement Award for all of his research and efforts into uh, putting a lot of different things together uh, from the Patterson-Gimlin film uh, to, again, all of his Sasquatch Pacific Northwest research and as well here in the Ohio Grassman stuff. So uh, definitely worthy of that. Of uh, the top 20 cryptozoology books, which uh, I was very fortunate enough to be on that list a number of years ago with my book, The Handbook for the Amateur Cryptozoologist, uh, a long time ago. Jeez, when was that? 2016? 2015, 2000, I don't remember. Uh, It's in there somewhere. I'll look at it later. But uh, this year, uh, a number of books, just uh, so much going on. I I only remember a handful of these coming out, but uh, got a couple on my Christmas list. We'll see if I get them. If not, then uh, I'll just be doing my normal January thing where I'm buying my own books if I don't get what I want. And uh, reading away. So the Bigfooters Atlas 
by Zach Bales. Um, it's a Bigfoot in a homonology book. Uh, we also have Wendigo Lore, Monsters, Myths, and Madness by Chad Lewis and Kevin Lee Nelson. That is actually on my list. Didn't, don't remember when that came out, but that was on my list. Uh, Wood Knox, Volume 4, Journal of Sasquatch Research by David Weatherly and Chad Lewis, among others, also on my list. i got to catch up on that, though. Um, Forgotten Bigfoots Around the World by Malcolm Smith. Uh, Boggy Creek Casebook, Falk Monster Encounters, 1908 to Present, uh, definitely on my list. That's by Lyle Blackburn. Also by Lyle Blackburn, Sinister Swamps, Monsters and Mysteries from the Mire. Uh, he's going to be getting a pretty hefty check from me coming his way. Uh, Sun, Sand, and Sea Serpents by David Galsward. Not too many. There's usually not a whole lot of sea serpent books come out every year. Um, but there's a couple. Uh, the Truth About Bunny Yips. And that's by Malcolm Smith. Also by Malcolm Smith. Australian sea serpents, and uh, I know, you know, most of my listeners are here in the United States. Uh, some are there in Europe. I do have a few in Australia, and uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by some of the stories I've, I've heard uh, about Australian creatures, but I haven't really heard a whole lot about Australian sea serpents. So that interests me because I don't know anything about it really. Uh, we also have Forgotten Sea Serpents by Malcolm Smith. Uh, Mer people, the human history. Um, kind of interested in that. I heard when that came out. I haven't read about that. To read a bit, a little bit more about that. Uh, that's by Von Scribner. Another one that's on my list. Uh, you can't go wrong with this guy. Mystery Cats of the World Revisited by Doctor Carl P. N. Schuker. Uh, anything by written by Carl Schuker. Buy it. Uh, he's uh, an excellent researcher. Uh, probably one of the best out there right now and for a long time. Uh, always has great stuff. And this has got stuff about uh, Black Mountain Lions in it. So this has been on my list all year long. Um, the best regional cryptozoology books of 2020. We have Monsters of the Last Frontier, Cryptids and Legends of Alaska by David Weatherly. Uh, we also have Monsters of the Crossroads, Cryptids and Legends of Indiana. It's also on my list, also by David Weatherly. Uh, Mothman Territory, History and High Strangeness by George Dudling. And uh, Owls of the Eastern Ice, A Quest to Find and Save the World's Largest Owl, Jonathan C. Slot. And uh, the Unidentified Mythical Monsters, Alien Encounters, and Our Obsession with the Unexplained by Colin Dickey. And we've got a few more here, but I'm not going to read them all. Uh, you can go to CryptoZooNews.com and, and get the Edge. Last four or five books here. Some of these I've not seen. Uh, but uh, a lot of the chunk of the early ones, yeah, I've got like, gosh, another $100 worth of books on my list. And also... Lauren Coleman not only does the uh, Golden Yeti Awards for the Lifetime Achievement and the Cryptozoologist of the Year, but he also talks about cryptozoology uh, deaths every year. And unfortunately, you know, cryptozoology is, is uh, full of a lot of older people. 
you know, when it starts out in the 40s and 50s, uh, 60s with, you know, all the Bigfoot stories. Uh, it's a, still a pretty young, can't really call it a true science. It's not a true science, but it's still a, a fairly young pursuit, I guess you could say. But uh, the guys that are heavily involved since the 40s, uh, you know, these guys are, are getting older. And unfortunately, we've lost a lot along the way. And um, this year, there was a, a couple, well, at least one big name, Brian Sykes, uh, who's been on the top 10 Paranormal News Insider uh, stories of the past uh, with his DNA research, uh, discovering that uh, not all Bigfoot are actually Bigfoot. Some of them are actually bears. Uh, he's done a lot of great genetic work on purported hairs and other uh, things found of purported Bigfoot and related phenomena. Uh, he passed away on December 10th of this year. Um, and if you're a fan of the Finding Bigfoot television show, uh, I didn't know about this either. Uh, the passing of uh, James Bobo Faye's dog, not James Bobo Faye, he's still, he's still kicking. Uh, his dog, Monkey, passed away in uh, late November. So you might have seen the show. He's kind of like the the additional cast member there. I don't think he got paid for his appearances, but uh, uh, Celebrity Dog, uh, November 28th. He's known as the fifth star of Finding Bigfoot. A um, lot of other, again, aged cryptozoologists. Bill Miller from uh, Sasquatch tour founder, that on October 1st, Kevin Burns, executive producer of In Search of Monsters, Ancient Aliens, uh, died in September. Uh, Scott Marlowe, Florida cryptozoologist, died in September as well. Um, number of, of people on this list, and it seems like it just gets longer every year, and it's just very, very sad. But one, uh, one researcher I definitely wanted to uh, talk about was Dave Dragason, David Dragason. Uh, Pennsylvania Bigfooter, a uh, really good friend of mine. I considered him a very good friend. Uh, always nice to chat with him. Uh, I spent countless hours talking research, uh, other things, all sorts of stuff with Dave. He was so easy to talk to and just such a wonderful, wonderful researcher. Uh, it was always the MC of events that I went to in Pennsylvania. Uh, I could always count on a good story, uh, always count on some new research. And... Uh, uh, it was just just hard to hear of his passing back in July. Uh, just a wonderful researcher, and it really hurts when you lose the good ones uh, in the field. Uh, you know, the people that are doing the work right up until uh, it's their time to go. And uh, he was a fantastic, just a genuine person, let alone a fantastic researcher. Uh, so I feel uh, some of the pain on this list. Uh, but it just it's sad because it just seems like these lists get longer every year of people uh, that are passing away. And, uh, geez, I want this to be depressing. Uh, but, you could, again, you can check out CryptoZooNews.com and find out all of these lists and uh, all the information that Lauren has to offer for cryptozoology. But... That's it for cryptozoology this week. We're going to move into UFO news. And one story that I've not talked about on the show, I mean, it really never blossomed into anything. 
it was just uh, another log on the fire as far as I'm concerned. Uh, hasn't had a, a major impact on anything. And that is the reveal of a new photograph leaked of what appears to be a strange-shaped UFO as seen from the cockpit of an F-A-18 Hornet fighter jet. You know, if you've not seen this, you're probably not paying attention. It's been all over the news the, the last few weeks. But again, I just kind of sidestepped it. It just really didn't seem like it was going to be anything um, major to me. Again, just another... Another log in the fire. Uh, so here is the picture. I'll throw it in the chat room. So if you're listening live in chat, you get this extra extra additive uh, of a dimension of the show. Not just me rambling on and on for an hour and two minutes every night or every week. Uh, so here in the cockpit, you can see this was taken by with a personal cell phone. And oh my gosh, is that a is that a curvature of the Earth? No, no, it's got to be NASA messing with that picture. Uh, but you can see a little dot out ahead, and I'll throw a, a zoomed picture of what that looks like. Not seen that. Uh, so there's a zoomed picture, and it's a, really an odd shape. It's kind of a, a raggedy-shaped object. Oh, it's invalid. Oh, that's not going to work. Love technology, so probably not going to work here. Nope. Uh, anyway, it's uh, kind of got some weird shapes. I'll throw another one in there in chat That uh, once I develop the story here. Uh, so the photo was taken with a personal cell phone of the pilot at 35,000 feet, eh, give or take. Uh, when zoomed in, Again, the shape is uh, rather odd. It's like a, a triangular shape with some weird edges on it, uh, basically. Um, kind of a jagged outline, more or less. So the photo was considered unclassified and for official use only, uh, but was being shared within the U.S. intelligence uh, community uh, personnel and ultimately uh, was leaked out to the public. Because it wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't held in too high a regard, apparently. Uh, so it was leaked via social media. Gasp. Social media. Uh, so it was leaked on social media back on December 3rd. Uh, with not a whole lot of uh, information backing it other, other than what I've just told you. Now, internet sleuths, of course, are always on the job. They're always uh, trying to get to the bottom of everything. Uh, so they've been at hard at work trying to solve this mystery, and they have come up with a uh, kind of, in my opinion, not so surprising answer. It was kind of one thing that I thought of when I initially saw it, but I didn't have the exact answer. Uh, so just looking at the shape itself, the answer is as simple as a balloon. And I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes. At least I didn't say, uh, you know, Chinese lantern, something like that, not at that elevation. Uh, but looking at that shape, it's a very distinct shape. Uh, it's not just any balloon, but this one is a Batman balloon. And I know we've, uh, in the past, we've, uh, gosh, this, this year we had an Iron Man balloon. And let me throw that picture in. Hopefully that one works. 
Success. So the second picture, uh, you see the uh, kind of a well, there's three balloons there. Two of them are the this Batman balloon, and the third one that's in the upper left, a little bit faded, is the actual image of this uh, UAP. Can't say UFO anymore. Um, so you can tell the shape is pretty darn similar. Now, the edges on the side of this object look a little bit bigger, and there's a reason for that. It's supposed to look like that. It's actually really, really good that it looks like that because that helps actually prove things. Now, uh, initially, I kind of was, I per personally, believe it or not, was dismissive of the balloon theory. I thought that there's no way. 35,000 feet, uh, I do know that balloons have a hard time getting that high. Uh, there are quite a few arguments against this being able to be a balloon. And the internet, as always, uh, there's two sides to it. And a lot of people are, are saying, yes, this is definitely the balloon. And a lot of people are saying, no, it can't be a balloon. And again, I was uh, completely on the side of it not being a balloon. There's a lot of arguments that, that I said doesn't make any sense. But then I, I did some research. And that's, that's what you got to do. Put your feelings aside and do some research. And uh, look at both sides of the story. And whatever really makes sense at that point, that's kind of the angle you have to go. Whether you believe it or not. Um, so again, looking at that Batman balloon of the UAP they're pretty much the same shape. The shading is also very close where there should be, uh, I guess, the Batman and his wings and his fists coming at you. Um, so let me... Well... I haven't... Yeah, I should have done that first. I have a different picture that shows uh, those three balloons a little bit close up with all the other stuff out of the way. So throw that in the chat room. Hopefully that one works. So get a little bit closer look at those three. And you can click on that picture. And it'll get a little bit bigger. Well, not so much bigger. But you kind of see uh, there's a little bit of distortion because of its zoomed in. You know, it's, you can only zoom in so much on any digital image before it pixelates, no matter how good the camera. And sure, they were traveling pretty fast in a Hornet. And it's pretty hard to keep the camera sh straight when you're taking a picture going 300 and some odd miles an hour. Uh, so that's part of the equation here. That's part of the first thing that I thought of uh, because of a couple arguments that have been brought up and, and pretty tough arguments to, uh, to go against here. So first, it would be pretty difficult to take a picture of a balloon while you're flying in a fighter jet around 300 plus miles per hour. But remember, and this is the thing that I had to tell myself, uh, a balloon is also traveling at speed with the wind at that altitude. And at th if it is 35,000 feet, uh, that wind could be as much as 200 miles an hour. Probably not that much, probably more around 100, but it's going to be moving. Depends on uh, where exactly they're at, if they're near the jet stream. Uh, but the wind is a lot uh, heavier in those uh in that elevation but again it depends on where they were at uh this would give the perspective that the object is actually traveling at speed 
instead of just stationary. It's not going to be stationary at that altitude. It's going to be it's going to be hauling in one direction or another. So if they're going in that same direction, you can take that 300 miles an hour and subtract 100 or so. It's still pretty fast. You know, if it's going 150, you know, it's going half that speed. It's you know, you're passing it up still at 150 miles an hour, but would still give you time to be able to, to uh, take a picture of that. And, and we don't know. There's no video. So we don't know how fast they pass this object. Uh, but it does fool the eyes and it does fool your perspective, perspective on what you're seeing when you're flying around up there. Now, the other major argument is that balloons can't travel that high. Well, it's partially true, uh, but it's partially not true. Uh, unfortunately... Uh, the latex style balloons, a good latex balloon can go that high. Uh, unfortunately, um, this is a foil balloon, not a latex balloon. So a good latex balloon, they can actually travel as high as 20 miles before shattering. And yes, they shatter. They don't pop. Uh, the atmosphere becomes less dense and the balloon will expand because it's helium. And so it's going to expand until it explodes but with the cold temperatures, when you hit about five to six miles in altitude, uh, it gets super, super cold. And that balloon will it'll still expand without breaking. But once it, it pops, more or less, it actually shatters into very small pieces of plastic uh, because it's uh, extremely cold. So that plastic, you could try this, uh, go up to Alaska, go somewhere super, super cold. And uh, pop a balloon, see what happens. So it basically would shatter like a mirror, more or less. So that's, uh, that's actually good for the environment because then when the stuff rains down, it's not large pieces. It's not going to pelt you in the head. It's not going to be eaten by anything because it's going to be really, really super, super small. Uh, and in a 1992 study, I actually read some science. This, again, this is what you have to do. You have to read things that go against what you what you kind of want it to be. And you also have to, I mean, you have to read both sides. Uh, so a 1992 study found it was uh, that foil balloons can only travel to around 3,300 feet before they burst or would lose its lift and basically come down to earth. In the 1992 study, the highest any of the foil balloons traveled was just above 15,000 feet. So about halfway to where this balloon was seen. But... There are a lot of variables at play here, and, and reading the study I was very limited. It was just a basic, uh, we get balloons at this, and they were all pressured the same. So they were all filled up with the same amount of helium, the uh, latex balloons and the foil balloons, just to see which one would travel higher. So it wasn't really, let's see how high we can get a foil balloon to fly. It was just the average based on the amount of helium put in the balloon, which is important. And they were lifted over land in, I think it was the spring, late spring, early summer. I uh, wasn't given any temperature variation, so we don't know a, a lot about the weather at the time when this experiment was done. Uh, but if done with foil balloons that were underinflated and they could catch the right amount of temperature, air pressure, and wind, it is possible that they could go 20,000 feet and perhaps 30,000 feet if caught in wind uh, prior to expanding and exploding. So 
the good thing, looking at this picture, it looks like that balloon is pretty puffy. And a foil balloon doesn't have the elasticity that a latex balloon has, obviously. If you've played around with one or the other or both, maybe. If you're a clown, you like making shapes, I don't know. Do what you do. Um, but underinflated, that it could probably expand enough before it were to tear or... Uh, do whatever, but 30,000 feet is still stretching it. I'm still not 100% convinced, uh, unless they have the elevation wrong, but looking at that picture, they look awful high up to me, but it is all about perspective. Now, those could those clouds may not be as high as what we think they are. Depends on the weather. Depends on a lot of circumstances and uh, different variables, again. Uh, this particular balloon is 28 inches wide, so much bigger than the, the uh, foil balloons that were used in the 1992 study. So that could have another effect on this and could push enough helium out of the valve to travel to that right elevation. And since the sighting took place over the ocean, the atmosphere conditions could have been just right. So it's not out of the question. If you, you add all these variables up, a larger balloon... Uh, possibly less helium than the amount of pressure that was in the ones that were used in this test. Uh, it's possible. And plus, since 1992, I think foil balloons have gotten a little bit a little bit better. I think their elasticity is a little bit better. So you can't really just say, well, in 1992, they said they only go 3,300 feet. So no, uh, things change. And, you know, all I see is this 1992 study. That's That's pretty old. Let's get a new updated study. Um, but again, I didn't believe it at first, but the more research I read and the more stuff that I, I kind of uh, looked around, the more I'm convinced that, uh, I mean, just looking at this thing, it looks like it's more than likely the answer. Uh, big thanks to Scott Brando over at UFO of Interest, who is one of the best that I think uh, debunking some of these fake videos it actually solves a lot of these mysterious photos, videos, and stories on anomalous phenomena. And he's always uh, somebody that I'm watching because uh, he does fantastic work. And I'll see something and I'll get a kind of a thought and I start doing research and lo and behold, I see him uh, post something. And uh, it, it's crazy. Uh, we're on the same wavelength sometimes with his, his uh, work. So UFO of interest you can uh, follow him at, at UFO of Interest on Twitter and get uh, pretty much the latest breaking UFO stuff debunked. And debunking isn't a bad thing. Again, there's a lot of fake stuff that's pumped out. And uh, unfortunately, he has to spend time uh, working on getting rid of these fake videos. Um, there's a lot of people that make a lot of money from these fake videos. And unfortunately, again, we have to focus on you know, all this fake stuff pumped out there. So maybe, hopefully, we can get those real stories, those real pictures, and those real videos that uh, ultimately, eventually, uh, could uh, pop into the newsreel or social media and explain the real stuff. And speaking about the real stuff, let's move on to, let's talk about signals from extraterrestrial intelligences. This is a, a pretty big topic. Uh, we had the wow signal back in 1977 and many other signals that turned out to be near-Earth objects, unfortunately, uh, explainable things such as satellites. And we even had one 
about uh, five years ago, I believe that was in 2015, it actually turned out that a mysterious signal from outer space was actually caused by a microwave oven. So somebody was having lunch, and uh, meanwhile, we thought it was uh, aliens communicating. So the same observatory that made, or I guess they made that mistake, but also uncovered that mistake through science, uh, Australia's Parks Observatory picked up some unusual radio waves last year during 30 hours of observations in April and May. Uh, the story kind of leaked out. It uh, looks like it's a, a, a big, big deal, but uh, I'm sure they wish it wouldn't have leaked because they're still kind of doing work on it. It could come out that there's some mundane explain, uh, explanation behind this, that the signal isn't as big of a deal as what uh, some people are making it. Uh, so the direction of the beam and an apparent shift in the frequency of the signal is thought to be consistent with the movement of a planet. And that's a pretty big deal. Uh, the beam is currently known as BLC-1 after the Breakthrough Listen project, which is tied in with SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. So Breakthrough Listen is just one of the initiatives launched by Yuri Milner in 2015 with $100 million in funding for a 10-year project. The best news about this signal is that it comes from the closest star to our sun, Proxima Centauri, which is just 4.2 light years from Earth, um, but it's uh, too faint to be seen with the unaided eye. I think you could see it with binoculars, though, if you really, really squint. Telescope is better. Uh, the system is known to have at least two planets circling the red dwarf, uh, one being a gas giant and the other being a rocky planet like Earth. Uh, despite the planet known as Proxima B being in the habitable zone where the temperature and distance from the star would allow water to be liquid on the planet. Uh, a red dwarf is uh, pretty volatile, and it's doubtful. Most scientists uh, don't think that life exists on that rocky planet due to a, a number of factors uh, with that type of uh, star. And in case you're wondering, traveling to Proxima Centauri uh, would take about with current technology that we have available, or let's just say the fastest craft that we have ever launched, it would take you uh, about 73,775 years. That's a long time. I don't have that kind of time. Uh, but currently, Proxima Centauri is moving toward our solar system, and in 26,700 years, will only be 3.11 light years away. Uh, but then, unfortunately, it's going to start speeding away at uh, 22 kilometers per second. And that's not too much faster than our current fastest craft, Voyager 1, which is traveling at 17 kilometers per second. So uh, if we had uh, if Voyager 1 was traveling in that direction, it could potentially meet up with that system, but then that system would start speeding away. Uh, pretty quickly. Um, so despite this being uh, the most promising signal candidate since the WOW signal, there still exists the possibility of, of a natural explanation. So don't pack your bags just yet. Um, there's still more work to do. And again, a high possibility they'll find that it's uh, 
a mundane explanation. Hopefully it's not a near-Earth object. Uh, you know, we get quite a few of those stories that unfortunately leak out or somebody makes a big, bold claim that ends up being uh, some like XM, XM satellite radio something or other. But uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed and hopefully that story will continue to evolve and potentially turn into a huge story. Um well, probably next year, uh, if they can't debunk that. So with that, we are going to move into the top 10 paranormal news stories for 2020. Not a very good segue, but anyway, uh, the top 10. And uh, quickly go through the, the last few. So number 10, no, it wasn't the monolith. Uh, even though there's, what, 82 different monoliths now discovered, something like I don't know why we're even keeping track anymore. Who cares at this point? It's, it's uh, watered-down stuff. Uh, number 10 on my list was the MUFON director being arrested. And again, this is my list, so if you, if you love it, it's me. If you hate it, I stole it from somebody else. No, that's not true. Uh, I came up with this list, and, and some of these, like uh, the number 9 story, we're kind of bundled together. So lake monsters, other than Loch Ness, uh, we had one from Argentina. We had uh, Lake Champlain. We had uh, China, South Korea. So a lot of different monsters, Ogopogo. So a lot of different sightings from all over the world to kind of combine into one story. Uh, otherwise, it would have sank below number 10, I think. Uh, number eight was the Mad Mike Hughes death. Yes, the guy that uh, had the steam-powered rocket that many thought was trying to prove that the Earth was flat, which really wasn't the case. He was just using that as a gimmick, and it worked because he got front-page news. Uh, number seven was SpaceX and the UFO settings that the launches created, uh, as well as some of the controversy behind the... Uh, those craft and the uh, constellations that they they're going to create and let's see where are we at number six was the Arecibo telescope damaged twice and ultimately collapsed on its own uh, number five was the mysterious western u.s drones you know we kind of forgot all about that but it was a major story and it was in January, and January is kind of when the world pretty much turned upside down. We had a little bit of uh, talk about COVID-19. Back then, it was just coronavirus. And then uh, oh, Australia was on fire, and Kobe Bryant's helicopter crashed. It, it just, everything just, after that, it just, uh, everything just erupted. We had the coronavirus outbreak out west and then it just it just went everywhere and and we are where we're at now and it hasn't stopped here in the united states so we had uh, a lot of stuff happening since then so we kind of forgot about that story but uh there for a while mysterious western u.s drones was the number one story for quite a while uh but now we look at number four on the list for 2020 Again, a very topsy-turvy world that we've had uh, since then. And some of these stories really kind of kept us uh, distracted from our unfortunate realities that have uh, uh, surrounded us since then. So number four on the list 
has been uh, probably one of the more consistent types of stories that have been on this list year in and year out. We'll probably dive into that a little deeper next week. I'm either going to do talk about some of the top tens from the years past, or I may do, I had a little bit of pressure about this lately, I may do a a top ten of the last decade, maybe even excluding this year, but uh, just looking at the last ten top tens and trying to figure out that's going to be tough. Not all years are built the same, but kind of looking at some of the top stories of the last 10 years. And uh, this particular topic has been in the top 10 uh, quite frequently, which uh, may have a little bit of weight behind it. And I know it's not always everyone's favorite story, and I do sometimes make fun of this because I'm just amazed. And no matter how many times this uh, story gets debunked, or a story comes out of uh, riddled, uh, you know, beginnings of this and how it's uh, riddled in hoaxes and, and all sorts of stuff and DNA examinations of this, that it's not real. Uh, people still fall in love with this. And it's, this is a big moneymaker, a big, huge story in the United Kingdom. And yes, I'm talking about our good old friend, the Loch Ness Monster coming in at number four in 2020. So the monster radar and sightings for 2020 brings the Loch Ness Monster in the top five. I didn't expect this to happen, uh, but we had uh, these radar sightings towards the end of the year and also a really interesting hoax during the middle of the year that really, really floated the story to the top. And it didn't take long For the first official Loch Ness Monster sighting of 2020, it came on January 18th uh, through the live webcam, which has been getting a lot of these quote-unquote official sightings uh, near Urquhart uh, Bay. Uh, Ian O'Fadigan, who is a longtime Loch Ness Monster fan, he's had uh, numerous sightings. Uh, He registered that first one. Uh, he had last year, he had four sightings from all from the webcam. And last year was a record-setting 18 sightings for 2019, which is the highest amount, not only in the 21st century, but also since 1983, since this list was being kept uh, active. Now, his uh, that particular sighting wasn't really all eventful. Uh, you can see something moving in the video in the water, but there's so much, yeah, so much you can't see. Uh, hardly any detail to make out what could be there. Uh, but of course, Ian stated about that particular sighting, there were no boats or birds to see at the time of the sighting. Uh, but of course, that does not mean that the Loch Ness Monster was responsible for those sightings. Uh, and of course, February, again, another story you probably forget all about. We had uh, Storm Kiera which was battling the United Kingdom and Ireland uh, over the weekend of February 8th and 9th. The storm ultimately killed 13 people as it brought high winds and heavy rains to the United Kingdom, Ireland, and Western Europe. Uh, The storm also deposited a giant skeleton on the shores of Aberdeen, Scotland, on the northeastern side of the country, which uh, generated a lot of speculation that the Loch Ness Monster was dead. Uh, a photograph of the large skeleton with a person standing next to it was posted 
to FUBAR News of Northern Scotland. Uh, the photo generated a lot of speculation. The media, of course, jumped all over it. Uh, the Liverpool Echo newspaper ran a poll asking its readers what they thought the skeleton was from. And the largest percentage, 43% felt it was a whale, while 42% thought it was a publicity stunt. And only 8% thought it was Nessie. And I don't know why, but uh, 7% thought it was a dinosaur. Which really wouldn't be possible. Um, Ian O'Fadigan had uh, another sighting. He had the second sighting of the year, second official sighting. Uh, again, it was off the webcam, couldn't really see anything. And it was on was that April 13th. So we went a long time without seeing the Loch Ness Monster. So, yeah, there was a little bit of panic. And he says it was uh, three to four feet out of the water at its highest, but mainly low to the water for most of it. Uh, putting up a wash of white water as it moved to see moved to see it at that range, it would have been at least 10 feet long. As you can see from the video, there are no boats present before the object appeared out through the surface water. Loch Ness at the moment is like a ghost lake. There's no activity of any sort out there uh, these days uh, due to present circumstances. Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, again, it was really grainy video. Um, I mean, saying it was shot by a potato would be a, uh, would be a compliment from what you're saying. It's more like a pea. That's really hard to see anything on that uh, Loch Ness Monster camera. And I, I've watched it before, and I, you just really can't see much. So it's kind of pareidolia. You see something move, that's a Loch Ness Monster. See the wind hit the lake, uh, pareidolia, a Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, you can't really see much uh, from that. Uh, April... 22nd brought the third Loch Ness Monster sighting. And it's thought to be the largest ever recorded with what is described as a 30-foot-long shape that purportedly came four to five feet out of the water. No picture. No picture. Um, and again, it was Ian O'Fadigan. Ian O'Fadigan. So, yeah... Webcam stuff really dominated. Uh, then we had, uh, pretty much in the middle of the year, uh, in June, and late June, so June 23rd on my show here, uh, we had Steve Chalice, who was on holiday with his brother in Scotland for two weeks in September of 2019. He said he'd taken hundreds of photographs during his trip, but it was only during lockdown that he went through his photos. Uh, during a trip to Urquhart Castle on the 15th or 16th of September, he saw an object in the water he assumed was a fish and began taking photographs. Uh, so he commented uh, that uh, he started taking a couple of shots. This big fish came to the surface and then went back down again. It only appeared in one shot. And to be honest, that was something of a fluke. Which is weird because the camera he's using, uh, I forget how many, I think it's like, 10 photos a second or, or it's way more than that that it could take. So, yeah, started to unfold. Uh, so the only picture the creature appears in, now this is the second picture. It just shows a water moving. So it's this creature is partially out of the water and moving. And 
he said he was photographing the opposite shore when he saw a ripple and began taking photos. He estimated the creature was 30 feet away and about 8 feet long. Then in steps Roland Watson, an author who runs the Loch Ness Monster Mystery blog. He says, quote, if this is a genuine picture of a creature of, in Loch Ness, it would easily rank in the top three of all time. At this point, I am in an ongoing conversation with Steve as to the objections and concerns I have about this being a Photoshop picture. So we will see where that takes us, unquote. Uh, and according to the Daily Record, a digital photography expert also stated the photograph appears to be Photoshopped. And uh, however, Steve stated the photograph is genuine, but he's not claiming it's a Loch Ness Monster. And uh, he's uh, said he posted the photograph, so hopefully somebody else could identify what it was. Uh, hmm. So he says, uh, quote, personally, I know there's been some interest and some people are saying it's the monster, but I don't believe that. I have to I have to say I don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster. Frankly, if anything is in there, there's a logical explanation for most of the sightings. My guess would be that what I captured was a catfish or something like that. As seals get in from the sea, then I expect that's what it is. And that would explain these sightings, why they're so few and far in between, unquote. It sounds pretty genuine, right? Well, the photograph was posted on the Facebook group Anomalous Universe, and Roland Watson has followed the conversation since the photo had been posted. Now, the person responded uh, to criticism about the image being CGI by saying, quote, no, it's just a fish, but uh, not sure what sort. Love the idea of CGI, but I'm not that good at it. LOL. But uh, Watson did some surface-level digging and found that the man's LinkedIn page shows that he's a 3D graphical artist. So he kind of got caught. Uh, but he backpedaled on that, saying he didn't say he didn't do CGI, just says he's not that good at it. Well, you might want to tell your employer. So we everybody knew this was coming. It was The story was kind of unfolding and it didn't take too long for the story to completely unravel. And it turned out that the creature was, in fact, a catfish. Uh, but it wasn't swimming in the waters of Loch Ness. It was a Wells catfish and was captured in the River Po in Italy back in 2018. Now, the fish was estimated to be 105 and a half inches in length and around 286 pounds. So it turns out the catfish have pigmentation patterns on their backs that are unique, uh, similarly to human fingerprints. Uh, Jariah Houghton spotted the image and compared the pigmentation on both the Italian catfish and the purported Loch Ness Monster image and discovered, yes, they were exactly the same. Uh, busted. Uh, I don't th we never really heard much from Steve about uh, getting uh, busted, but this is a pretty big story that lasted a couple of weeks. Got a lot of major uh, news attention. Uh, these sightings really didn't get a whole lot, so the fifth sighting came and went. Nobody really said much about it. Sixth sighting in June. Uh, we had a couple of skeptics that saw the Loch Ness Monster and are now believers. Of course, that's how it works. 
Uh, then, of course, we had the uh, in October we had the uh, the uh, sightings of the radar. We had the stories of the radar sightings, or I should say sonar. Uh, one was captured on Wednesday, September 30th, by Ronald McKenzie piloting the Spirit of Loch Ness. Uh, got a lot of attention. Uh, on October 11th, another one showed up from Ronald McKenzie. And then uh, we had a third one. Of course, this one was from June of 2015, but it still got some attention. So three sonar images of purportedly of the Loch Ness Monster rolled out and got a lot of attention for the Loch Ness Monster. So the Loch Ness Monster in the news all year long. So why is the story in the top 10? Well, 2020 did not live up to the 21st century record number of sightings of 18, as there was only 12 in 2020 versus 18 in 2019. But the sightings and stories of the catfish hoax and the sonar findings kept the Loch Ness Monster in the paranormal and mainstream news all year long. And, of course, was a welcome distraction to all of the COVID-19 and political news that we all had to endure. So why is the story only number four? Well, collectively, these stories cast a lot of weight for a creature that has proven time and time again that it does not exist. And last year's number four story was the Neil Gemmel's Loch Ness Monster Study that found no DNA that could explain a large creature in Loch Ness. So if it weren't for the hoax and sonar findings, the Loch Ness Monster may have gone unnoticed from the rest of the world outside of the United Kingdom. Uh, but yeah, number four, I think that's three years in a row, the Loch Ness Monster, or a story about the Loch Ness Monster, has been number four. So what about number three? What could number three be this year? Well, number three... Not going to beat around the bush. Uh, U.S. government research on UFOs. And it's a story that, again, most of this took place earlier this year. We go way back to Valentine's Day, where Popular Mechanics published some new documents that showed that the U.S. government was doing some investigating and research into UFOs and related phenomena. Other information released from unknown sources to Popular Mechanics also refutes information that was released late last year that Luis Elizondo, now with the To The Stars Academy, uh, was the leader of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, also known as ATIP. Um, ATIP was revealed to the world in 2017 as the New York Times uncovered information surrounding the $22 million program and was thought to be a secret UFO research program. Uh, since then, the government has admitted the program did research UAPs, uh, unidentified era phenomena. Uh, but again, late last year, claims that ATIP did not investigate these type of crafts. So there was a little bit of wishy-washy with this earlier in the year. And uh, then we came to find out in March that the U.S. Army was working with Tom DeLonge's organization because of the exotic materials in the group's possession. And let's see, we forward to May. Uh, April 27th, the U.S. Department of Defense officially released the three videos showing unidentified aerial phenomena. And, you know, we'd seen these beforehand 
for a few years, but now they officially released it. They officially said, yes, these are our videos. And they actually had some uh, websites on the defense.gov site that you can actually see these videos and information behind it, which is just, it was mind numbing at the time to see this actual UFO research, modern day UFO research and videos on a government website. I never thought I'd see the day, to be honest. Uh, so it was a huge story, in my opinion. Even though we'd already seen these videos, it was old news. And, um, but uh, officially out, officially acknowledged, which was huge. And of course, uh, President Trump jumped in on this uh, in May, uh, pretty much shooting these things down, laughing and uh, said he's not a fan of UFOs and admitted he's not a believer. Uh, then, of course, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid uh, appeared on the cyber podcast from Motherboard, which explores UFOs and the paranormal. And he says he's done more than any other lawmaker to support the search for UFOs. But that statement doesn't mean much because no one else is doing anything. And, of course, uh, his statements... Uh, have kind of really pushed the way uh, with everything throughout the year talking about this. Uh, the Pentagon then, uh, toward June, the U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee announced it was going to impose rules on how information is shared by the DOD and the uh, UAP or UFOs uh, with a bill that was uh, ultimately passed. You know, so reading about politics... And talking about how information is, is going to be released, again, just, just crazy to see this in the mainstream media and the mainstream news. Uh, and now we have this uh, task force that's created to, uh, in reaction to basically the reaction of the videos going public. The, uh, uh, the gimbal go fast and, and flare one or the Tic Tac video that were uh, acknowledged back in April. Uh, so pretty much, you know, off and on throughout the year, we've seen these stories in the mainstream media. And again, it's, it's weird to see this flip-flop because we're used to seeing those in the UFO field talking about UFOs and, and pressuring the government and the government just ig ignoring it completely. Uh, whereas now, uh, all you see is the, the government talking about this. Uh, it's in the House. It's in the Senate. The president's talking about it. This is a, a big deal. The military is talking about them. It's it's leaking through uh, government sources, uh, but we're not hearing anything from the the UFO researchers, which is really really weird. The the flip flop of information, uh, but again, it goes to what I've always felt that the government really doesn't know as much as what we think they do. We've given them a lot of credit for knowing things or having things in their possession that uh, maybe they don't. We really don't know as much as what we think they do or hope they do. So why did the story make the top 10? Well, I think hopefully it's pretty obvious. A UFO study has gone from swamp gas and the X-File theme music with canned laughter to a serious discussion point within the U.S. government. These days, it seems the government, again, is doing more work to uncover UFO information than the public that feels they're covering everything up. UFOs or UAPs, whatever you want to really say, uh, we're in the news all year long. 
and have finally become an accepted topic by the news, uh, which is uh, we've seen this the last three years. It's getting more and more mainstream. Uh, more and more uh, people are covering this, and we see headlines that actually take this stuff seriously, which is, uh, again, five years ago, I would have never thought it was going to happen. Uh, so why is the story only number three? If it's such a big deal, it was in the news all year long. Well, while all that is true, there were no major strides to disclose any new information. Well, except for the one picture. Uh, but it really doesn't add anything of value or substance to the to the entire story. So we're just still left with the same old information uh, just dragged through the mud, talked about and, and put into bills and uh, talked about to ad nauseum, really. Uh, so we're still as in the dark as what we were in 2019. But the good news is the push seems to be headed in the right direction. Finally, after all this time. Uh, so remember, next week, we will uh, debut number two and number one. And that'll be it. Uh, so we'll have a recap of the top 10. And uh, I don't know. We'll see if any big news happens or we have any stories that we can wrap up for the year. But uh, the focus is generally going to be on the top 10. We'll talk uh, maybe about last year's top 10, but uh, probably more than likely we'll talk about the top 10s of the last decade. Maybe I'll, I'll rank. Maybe I'll come up with the top 10 of, of the last decade. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but until then, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, in the immortal words of Steve Smith, Jonathan Cain, Ross Valerie, Neil Sean, and Steve Perry, don't stop believing ever. Don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting, and have a safe and Merry Christmas.